gobble gobble. Um, I might be a little bit early for that, but I don't care. I don't care. Thanksgiving is next week for us here in America, but this is this week. <sighs> so yeah, this is Sean. This is the Atari 7800 homebrew podcast. The final episode for the year because, well, I'm taking a break. I'm taking a break. There's still much more that needs to be said. During the course of this podcast, every Atari 78 homebrew that has been released, at least homebrew game, I should say, has been covered, including some games that haven't been released, but there's still more to talk about, and hopefully there will be more releases. Well, there will definitely be more releases. We know we have Baby Pac-Man coming up sometime. And Serpentine and Froggy, which I've recently discussed, are now available for sale in the Atari Age store. I ordered each of those as well as uh, Mappy for the Atari 2600 because I saw that demonstrated in a YouTube video and I almost passed out. It's, yeah, there's no way I'm not getting that. So those are on the way. I sent Albert a pokey chip for my Froggy cartridge. And oh, what was really, really awesome was... When I looked around to find the pokey chip that I had been stashing for a while, I discovered that there was a second pokey chip with it. So, wow, I have another pokey chip just waiting for whatever's coming next that needs a pokey chip. I have a feeling that people are going to try to avoid making more homebrew titles that specifically require a pokey chip unless it's adapted to use the one that's on the Atari expansion module, the 7800XM that is which is still in the works. Kurt is continuously posting updates, uh, progress reports and things. So that is definitely on the horizon and I can't wait for that sucker. Hmm, I guess maybe I can send a pokey chip for that. I don't know. I don't know, but we'll see. We'll see. But that was a nice discovery seeing that I had an extra pokey chip. I do want to address some uh, email that I got. And this is from our friend Trek MD, Eugenio, who says, hello, Sean. Well, hello, Eugenio. He says, I hope all is well. I decided to listen to your previous episode, Froggy, for a second time while driving back to Miami from Orlando as I returned from Replay, Florida. This is probably the largest retro gaming event in Florida, but still small enough of an event that gives me plenty of time to enjoy a number of arcade games that I don't often see. I also got to meet with Brian Colon of Rampage fame, Warren Davis of Cubert fame, and James Rolfe, aka the Angry Video Game Nerd. I also got together with Bob DiCrescenzo, the man who has single-handedly given the 7800 many of the homebrew titles we've talked about in this podcast. It sure was a fun weekend. About the episode itself, I wanted to clarify that the Starpath version of Frogger is actually called the official Frogger and not the original Frogger. I also was laughing when I heard the background music you added when you were reading my feedback. I guess the way I opened that particular feedback lent itself for that. Anyhow, I hope you have a great holiday season. I look forward to more episodes come 2019 going to the Final Frontier Gaming. And he gives a link to Free Play Florida's website. And, of course, that will be going in the show notes. <sighs> Eugenio, I always do that. I always ugh, I always get the title confused in the Starpath version. I know it's the official Frogger. I, I always screw that up. Uh, speaking of which, Eugenio, thank you for bringing that up because I did want to clarify something. The official Frogger on the Atari 2600 does have the Otter. It's the only home version I'm aware of that has the Otter. But glad you uh, mentioned Free Play Florida. I kind of figured you would send an update about that because I, I had a feeling you'd be going. 
I'm really glad you got to hang out with Brian Colin. He is one of the funniest people you'll ever meet. Uh, Warren Davis. Wow, that's one person I haven't met. Actually, I think J- Jeff Lee is the only Gottlieb person that I've met. He uh, designed Qbert. Uh, never met Warren Davis. I think Warren Davis uh, was the one that Jeff said uh, became an actor and had some kind of a. Pl- I, I don't know, but but from what I hear, he he got kind of screwed over in the uh pixels movie but um glad you got to meet him james ruff i so envy you for meeting the angry video game nerd and bob de crescenzo oh man i finally saw a picture of the man and um yeah this is this is so cool that you got to meet these people i envy you for that uh oh man angry video game nerd i have a suggestion for him and i'm gonna talk about that in just a moment so Thank you, Eugenio, for uh, sending that in. Now, as for what this episode is going to be about, um, I'm recording it right now, and I still don't know what it's going to be about. This is totally unscripted. I didn't have anything specifically planned out. I just wanted to have like one final wrap-up before this podcast hiatuses. Hiatus, hi- See, that's the problem with, with turning a noun into a verb. Uh, you have to figure out how to conjugate it on the spot. Uh, this podcast hiatuses. There you go. But one thing I can talk about, I've uh, mentioned before Extra Life, and I'm sure Extra Life is nothing new to any of you. But yeah, that happened. It was uh, November 3rd. November 3rd. I did as I planned. I went to Underground Retrocade. Now, here's the thing, though. Underground Retrocade on Saturdays is open from 11 a.m. to 1 a.m. And I'd always wanted to spend the entire day in Underground Retrocade just veg out completely on video games so i figured extra life would be a great opportunity for that with extra life you are committing to gaming for 24 hours i figured well that'll knock out 14 hours well minus an hour for say taking a lunch break and visits to the bathroom and things so i figured okay 13 hours what i didn't know until i think the day before was that underground retrocade was actually going to be open an extra hour to kind of recognize going from daylight saving time to standard time. So it was actually open 14 hours. I stayed until about 1.45 in the morning. And it was it was a really interesting day. Uh, there's a place, I've, I think I've mentioned it on this podcast and other contexts before, but there's a place a couple of miles away from me called the Old Town School of Folk Music. It's a wonderful place. It's a nonprofit place where you can go and learn music basically you learn to play an instrument or some or if you just want to play with other people they have what they call ensemble classes which you bring your instrument you play a bunch of songs that's pretty much it and uh, one of the things they do to help knock off the price of tuition is you can volunteer so my wife had a volunteer shift on that saturday morning so i dropped her off at 9 a.m we only have one car between the two of us because we live in the city we have lots of mass transit so we only need one car so I dropped her off and then I went straight to West Dundee where Underground Retrocade is. And I got there at 9.40, which is record time. Going, f- I left the Old Town School at 9 a.m., got to West Dundee at 9.40. I was in my parking space at 9.40. Usually it takes at least an hour because where we live to get to Interstate 90, I kind of have to zigzag. Chicago is built on a, on a grid. I kind of have to zigzag my way west for a while until I get to an on-ramp for Interstate 90. But where the Old Town School of Folk Music is, 
It's just south of Lawrence Avenue. And if you take Lawrence Avenue straight for a little while, there's an on-ramp for I-90 right there. So Lawrence at that time in the morning was pretty tame. And I was right there. I got on and the there wasn't a usual huge backup on 90. Uh, after a certain distance, the speed limit is 70 miles an hour. And of course, if you go a few miles over, no one's going to hassle you. So I got there really, really fast. My wife urged me to get a hotel room for the night so I don't have to drive all the way back to Chicago for 25, 30 miles after I've been playing games for 13 hours. So I had a room at the Courtyard Marriott. I stopped over there. They didn't have it available yet, which is understandable. They're usually not available till early afternoon. So I got back in the car. I went over to downtown West Dundee and parked in the lot behind Underground Retrocade. I went over to Kraft Donuts, which is across the street from the Retrocade. Busy place. Oh, I had a Boston cream donut. Delicious. Mm. And a hot chocolate. And I was probably there a good hour because I think it was, what, 9.50 when I got to uh, Kraft Donuts. And Underground Retrocade was opening it at uh, 11. So I passed the time by reading a couple of chapters of uh, Eric Idle's book, Always Look on the Bright Side of Life. I'm not a Monty Python fan, but my wife is. And uh, she talked me into going with her to uh, a Q&A that Eric Idle was doing in uh, Naperville, which is probably about an hour southwest of me. And part of the admission included an autographed copy of the book. So we each got a copy of the book. And uh, uh, since we didn't need two copies between us, I gave... Uh, my copy to uh, Jimmy G, my Pie Factory podcast co-host. There's the subtle plug I have to dig in in every episode. And after my wife finished it, I decided to read it. It's a fascinating book. I highly enjoyed it. One thing that really got to me with Eric Idle, seeing him in person and reading his book, is that he comes across a lot more humble than I expected because it just seems to me that so much of uh, what he does in terms of his artistic output, is a very big attention-grabbing kind of thing. Like, he's like, look at me, I'm Eric Idle. But he doesn't seem to be that way, though, in his personal life. So I, you never know what to make of somebody. But it's a, I highly recommend the book, though. It's a great read. It's a funny read, as you could expect, but also a serious read. But anyway, I after I read a couple of chapters, I went to uh, the Retrocade and just kind of waited outside the door till the door opened. And uh, it was about 10.57 when uh, it wasn't Scott, the uh, proprietor who was working yet, but uh, it was Alex, who is actually the daughter of a friend of mine who frequents the underground Retrocade. She works there and she let me in and uh, there we go. I spent a lot of time playing video games. Uh, I took a little bit of a lunch break, probably at about, in fact, I know it was about one. There's a restaurant in East Dundee, just a short walk away called Benedict's. It's one of those places that's open for breakfast and lunch. They close at two. Wonderful place. Great staff. Cheap prices too. You get great food for pretty cheap. So I went there, played some more games. There's a uh, one of the latest additions to the Underground Retrocade is a cocktail table version of SF High Splitter, I think. Yeah, the SF stands for Space Fever, and the High Splitter is a variation on Space Fever. Space Fever is basically a really, really early Nintendo arcade video game, and it's a knockoff of Space Invaders. And it's got three variations in the machine. There's game A, there's game B, and there's game C. 
And the thing about high splitter is the aliens that you're shooting are kind of double wide and you have to shoot them in the middle to kill them off. And if you don't shoot them directly in the middle, they split apart and form two different smaller aliens that you have to knock out. So it's an interesting twist and it's surprisingly addicting. And the variations are just basically different formations, if you will. I was playing that game for a long time too. Uh, it's it's really, really cool. It's something worth checking out. And you might want to check it out in MAME, perhaps, if you don't have a, uh, a location near you that has that game. I tried a couple of rounds of Ms. Pac-Man Turbo to see if I could reclaim my number one spot at uh, the Retrocade. Uh, I did see, though, that even though that my 760,000 score was beaten, they haven't updated the top 10 cards on top of the machine yet, so my name was still at number one, so at least that was something. Played a couple of rounds of uh, Junior Pac-Man Turbo as well, just to see if I could maybe significantly increase my Twin Galaxies top score, which I did not. I did beat my personal best at Centipede. I think I got something like 263,000 off the top of my head. My strategy with Centipede, uh, I was tutored by a friend of mine who gets in the 800,000s in Centipede, which is insane. If you've never seen somebody score that high in Centipede, let me tell you something. When he loses a life, and there are so many mushrooms on the screen, seriously, there's almost nothing but mushrooms all the way across the screen. It's like the screen is pink with X's across it because the way the uh, mushrooms are shaped, it looks like there's a series of X's going up and down the screen. But when he loses a life... And there was that little bonus countdown timer where you get five points for every mushroom that was partially destroyed or touched by a scorpion. You could make a sandwich. You could go make lunch and come back. It'll still be counting down. <laughs> and he kind of tutored me with centipede. And that's how I was able to ever break <laughs> a six digit score. The biggest strategy he taught me was to build a tunnel down the middle of the screen. Apparently, it's a common strategy, actually. What you want to do is position your cannon under the thousands digit of the high score, or in the 7800 version, I found the hundreds digit of the high score. And just that's where you want to shoot the centipede when it comes out. And what'll happen is a mushroom will form for every segment you shoot, either right in the middle or off to the left or to the right. And you want to shoot away the mushroom if it forms in the middle. And what will eventually happen if you keep doing that, you will have a tunnel built out of mushrooms. It goes right down the middle of the screen. And what that does is when the centipede is either fully intact or almost fully intact, that tunnel will force the centipede straight down so you can just stay in one place and shoot it away in one quick swipe. And something else in my friend, his name is Duke Dang, by the way. Uh, something else that Duke told me to do is shoot away all the mushrooms you can on the bottom portion of the screen, basically wherever your cannon can access. Shoot away all the mushrooms. So that was my strategy for a long time. Do the tunnel down the center of the screen and then shoot away the mushrooms. But I found that I could only guarantee myself somewhere in the 100,000 vicinity. So I changed up my strategy a little bit and... Now what I do is I shoot the mushrooms out of the bottom portion of the screen, like the bottom third of the screen, and then I work on the mushroom tunnel down the middle of the screen. I found that works a lot better. And uh, other other strategies I do, it's hard to say. Um, 
Of course, I try to shoot the scorpion as much as possible because that's a thousand points of pop right there. If the screen is relatively safe, I'll shoot the fleas when they come down because that's 200 per pop. And I'll try to avoid the spiders if at all possible. You don't want to aim for the spiders because they might suddenly make a turn and uh, kill you before you even can think about anything. So that's something you got to be careful with. I didn't play Millipede at all. Huh. I guess I just have to go back, right? And uh, what else did I play? I, I played some Crystal Castles for a while. Oh, and Crystal Castles. I finally found the hidden warp. I In 30-some years of playing that game, I never could find it. I finally did, and I was so excited about it. And uh, played a, a few rounds of Tempest, and man, my I I cannot play that game anymore. I am terrible at it. I used to be decent at it, but I, I just can't play it anymore. Oh, I definitely played Bosconian. Yeah, didn't do so well in Bosconian. Uh, I did stream as much as I could from the Retrocade. Um, one thing that I was really upset about, I did a walkthrough video, a live stream walkthrough video, and I was using Twitch. And unfortunately, the iPhone Twitch app was very, very buggy. It would just suddenly stop recording things. And it did that while I was doing my walkthrough of Underground Retrocade. And the video didn't save, so that's just gone. And I was I was kind of upset about that. Every time I try to do a walkthrough, something happens. The most recent walkthrough I have is from the night that Underground Retrocade had its grand reopening in September 2013. And that's not a good representative because a lot of the games were not powered up because the place didn't have all its electricity on yet. But, oh, well, I'll just have to keep trying. That was actually the second day of Extra Life. The first day was Friday night when I got home. And unfortunately, I got a late start. I got home from work late, and I had dinner a little bit late, so I don't think I started until close to 9 o'clock. The first game I played was Give My Regards to Broad Street on the Commodore 64. Mentioned before, going to mention again, my wife told me that she fully would give me support in participating in Extra Life, if and only if I included Give My Regards to Broad Street, because we're both Beatles fans, and she thought it was just a hoot that there was a companion video game to such a terrible movie. Uh, I saw Give My Regards to Broad Street once. I don't think it was as bad as everybody says. It's just boring. The music is good, but the, the movie itself is like, nah. And I'll tell you about the plot of the game. I read the manual. I read the manual out loud. And unfortunately, while I was streaming, it wasn't picking up the sound. So nobody heard, everybody just saw that there was just the manual on the screen and nothing happening, but I was actually reading it because it was kind of corny. But basically the plot of the game is that you are playing the role of Paul McCartney and you just recorded an album at EMI Studios, which I think at that time had been renamed Abbey Road Studios because that's what everybody called it anyway. And I think what happened was someone stole the tapes and you are tasked with finding the missing songs so you can put the album back together. And it's actually not far from uh, reality because when Wings recorded Band on the Run, they recorded it in Nigeria. The, the Band on the Run album was recorded in Lagos, Nigeria. The reason they went there is because Paul McCartney liked to do kind of exotic things. He recorded for EMI Records, and so he looked at a list of locations where there are EMI studios, 
and he saw that there was one in Lagos, Nigeria. So he and the band went to Nigeria and they did some recording. And uh, after they left a recording session one night, they were walking down the street and a couple of people came out of a car and held them up at knife point, I think, and stole the tapes. And to this day, those tapes are long gone. No one knows what happened to them. So Wings had to get back in the studio and re-record their music to the best of their memory. <laughs> and uh, they, they must have done a good job because Band on the Run is actually one of the, uh, it's actually one of the most critically acclaimed Paul McCartney albums. Personally, I prefer Ram, but hey, Band on the Run is pretty good anyway. Except for Mrs. Vanderbilt. I think I'm, my, my wife and I, I think, are the only people in the world who don't love Mrs. Vanderbilt. It's a boring song that doesn't ever end. It goes on forever. And when you think it's about to be over, suddenly it comes back. <sighs> anyway, sorry about that. But yeah, the plot of the game is you have to drive around London and find these people at various underground stations, the subway stations, tube stations. And they're supposed to give you back pieces of the album, the, like songs. And I think they're represented by musical notes or something. And uh, that's what you're supposed to do. Now, let me tell you what actually happens. First of all, you're driving around London. It's a top-down view of a map of London. You control a Knight Rider-ish car. And you would think to, say, go forward, you move the joystick up or something to go left you move the joystick left to go right. You move the joystick right. No, 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 no. To move the car forward, you have to hold the joystick either left or right. I don't remember. And if you want to turn, you have to come to a stop and then hold the button down. And then the car rotates. And then when it's facing the direction you want to turn, you move the joystick left again or right. I don't remember. It's either left or right. And there's a status on the screen that tells you which of your friends is at a nearby tube station. And the thing is, it, does, it, it constantly changes, and you'd never know where you're supposed to go. The manual includes several highly detailed maps of London. And if you don't have those suckers printed out, you're screwed. You're screw in fact, you're screwed anyway, because the game's so stupid. And let me tell you what happens when you go into a subway station. And one of two things will happen. Either Paul McCartney pops out of his car, gets his guitar out, plays a tune, and then gets back in his car. Or he'll get out of his car, and then this guy comes up on the screen who looks like Dolph Lundgren, walks over to you, and then the word gotcha appears on the screen, and then suddenly you see your car warping back to Abbey Road Studios, and you have to start all over again. And while you're doing all that, this really cheesy version of the song Band on the Run is playing in the background, and it's in a minor key, and it's a high speed, and it's really, it's, uh, and it gets on your nerves. By the way, folks, you may have noticed that Paul McCartney has not come out with another video game since, and Give My Regards to Broad Street was, uh, 33 years ago, so, uh, what does that tell you? Yeah. <sighs> it was so, oh, man. Going back to what I was saying about Eugenio's feedback, yeah, this is what I have to suggest to the angry video game nerd. The thing is, I don't think he likes to do computer games. His exception was Big Rigs Over the Road Racing. And if you haven't seen the angry video game nerd's uh, take on that, you have to. It is one of my favorite videos ever on the internet. <laughs> if you're sensitive to Anglo-Saxon words, it might not be something for you to watch, but it is hysterical. 
So that was Friday. Um, also, that was the only Commodore 64 game I did on Friday. I know I did some 7800 stuff on uh, Friday night as well. But man, Saturday, let me tell you about Saturday. Being an underground retrocade, my favorite place to play video games. You would think I would be in heaven. Here I am at the blessing of my wife, spending the entire day in underground retrocade. Let me tell you something. It is hard. It's one thing if you just happen to blow your entire day playing video games because you just want to pass the time. It's another thing when you are committing yourself to doing it, especially knowing that you're doing it to raise money to help sick kids. You can't just say, eh, you know what, I'm going to just sit down, take a break for 15 minutes and see what's on the TV, chat with people, whatever. You can't do that. You got to keep playing. And it, man, by the time the night was done, I was stoned practically just from all the gaming and oh, man, it was, it was rough. It was really rough. I did take another break later on. Uh, there's a wonderful frozen custard place in East Dundee, just a short walk away. And it's called Van's Frozen Custard. They have great burgers and great frozen custard and a wonderful staff over there. They're family run. In fact, what was really cool is that I wanted to uh, talk about something with a manager over there a couple of years ago. Uh, nothing bad at all, by the way. Nothing bad at all. I just said, hey, is there a manager I can talk to? And the lady behind the counter said, well, any one of us you can talk to. We're all managers. The entire family runs the place. I was like, oh, okay, cool. But they are super friendly and please, I'll tell you how I found out about them. If I, I don't know if I mentioned this before, but I found out about them a few years ago once and I was taking a break from gaming and I really, really wanted to get a snack and I saw a Dairy Queen down the road. I was like, there we go. You can never go wrong with ice cream. So I headed down toward Dairy Queen, which was across the street. And then I noticed, wait a minute, there's a frozen custard place right here. This is obviously a mom and pop place. I'm going to go there instead of a corporate place. And yeah, I know most Dairy Queens are franchised, but I still would rather go to something that's obviously family owned. And I have no regrets. Van's frozen custard is wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. So I got uh, some, fr I got, I got a concrete or something. I don't really remember. So I took a short break to go there. Then I went back to the retrocade, did some more games and I figured, well, Technically, I'm leaving before they close, but also their normal hours on a Saturday are 11 to 1 a.m. Anyway, it's 1.45. This is acceptable. I did about 13 and a half hours of gaming, and man, let me tell you, it was a good thing that I took my wife's advice and got a hotel room because, man, I could barely make the mile and a half drive back to my hotel. I can't imagine trying to get home 25, 30 miles away struggling to stay awake. So got to the hotel room and I watched um, a little bit of Ferg doing his extra life marathoning while I was cleaning up for bed. So watched maybe about 15, 20 minutes and then I went to bed and I don't think I actually slept. I think what actually happened was I temporarily died for six or seven hours, but man, I needed that. I just, I was just completely out of it. So I took my time in the morning. I didn't have to check out till noon. So I took up every second that I could just take it slow. So I checked out of my hotel room, went back to Benedict's for some breakfast. They seated me right away, but they were super busy. So it took me a while to get my pancakes and I didn't get back on the road until about one and I'm doing the math and I'm thinking, oh man, I have 
let's see, I did three and a half hours Friday, 13 and a half yesterday. That means I did 17 hours, so I still have seven hours to get done this weekend. And I'm doing the math, and I'm thinking, man, my wife has to go to bed really early tonight because she has to get up super early the next morning because she's a teacher. I got to get home at two and go straight to the video games and just play nonstop for seven hours. So I got home. My wife said to me, you know what? Maybe you just shouldn't do the rest of your hours today. Just break it up or do it next weekend or something. So I did a little bit of a compromise. What I did was I did three and a half, four hours on Sunday. And then I did the rest that Tuesday night because she wasn't going to be home, which meant there was just the dog and me and the dog's just going to take a nap anyway. So I could pass the time playing some video games, make up all my extra life hours. So that's what I did. I played some Atari 7800 stuff, including, uh, I did some Pac-Man collection gaming and, uh, Centipede. Oh yeah. I also got the Vectrex out and played around with that for a while. I did some uh, rounds of Vector Pilot, which is a homebrew, homebrew version of Time Pilot. And it's amazing. And I played Mindstorm because I just wanted to see how far I could get. I believe the copy of Mindstorm that's on my Vectrex doesn't actually crash like a lot of them do. However, it does skip a lot of uh, waves. I know that. And I also, for the first time ever, played Cosmic Chasm. I had no idea how to play it, but I knew it was a very popular game. I figured, why not give it a shot? And it was, it was wonderful. I really, really, really enjoyed it. Uh, it took a while to figure out how things work, but man, it's a fun game. It's, uh, I really don't know how to describe it. Uh, I, I'll put a link to my Twitch channel in the show notes. And if you want to see how I did it, you can go there. Um, and anyway, I just want to thank everybody who donated to my extra life campaign. It's still uh, donatable. They, I believe they take donations until the end of the year, but there are a lot of people that I really, really, really want to thank right now for helping out with extra life. Underground Retrocade, I have to thank first of all because they were wonderful with their they were wonderful with their hospitality as they always are, and they actually pushed me over my five hundred dollar goal. Ed Ladden Controllers, I was thrilled to see a donation from Ed Ladden. Uh, let's see who else. Uh, the Parham family, if you're listening, thank you. Uh, Anonymous Pie Factory listener from Iowa, thank you. Uh, Great Offender, that was uh, Richard Grounds, uh, Andrew Fellman. I I love seeing these names. Uh, Atari Bites chipped in. Uh, Jimmy G. Bryce from the TurboTastic podcast chipped in. He was also doing Extra Life, so I returned the favor. Uh, Michelle Levis, who's actually one of my wife's co-workers, uh, she was kind enough to donate. Uh, the Sheehan family, haha, my friend Keith and his family. It was because of him, actually, that I decided to support Lurie Children's Hospital, who, as of right now, are going to be getting $526 from my little Extra Life campaign, as it were. Um, let's see who else. Eugenio. Thank you, Eugenio. Uh, the Fichtel family. Fichtel, Fichtel, I'm sorry. Um, I believe they are courtesy of the Underground Retrocade Patrons Facebook page, as is Bruce Widmer. Now, something I like to uh, mention uh, about Bruce Widmer is I first heard about this guy. I actually saw him at Underground Retrocade a year or two ago. He was sitting down at the Mr. Do machine in deep concentration. And here I am thinking I am a awesome Mr. Do player because I had a high score of like 170,000. This dude was smoking me big time. <laughs> he was reaching obscenely high scene numbers. 
but he chipped in and that was uh that was awesome of him to do thank you bruce sean holly from the 10 pence arcade he was actually the first person to donate uh let's see steve steiner thank you steve and bobby adad moore who uh He's, I've always known Bobby to chip in a little bit whenever there was somebody doing something for charity. That's really awesome. And without Bobby Adad Moore, I might never have heard of the Mateos cart. So, uh, thank you everybody for your, for your donations. That was just beyond awesome, beyond awesome. Um, and, uh, if you wish to donate, wonderful. You can go to homebrew78.fab4it.com slash extra life. And I'll link that in the show notes. And if you donate, you are awesome. If you don't donate, well, for all I know, you're still awesome. Cause I really don't know most of you. So, um, I don't know what else to say, but extra life. It was both fun and very, very, very challenging. I didn't know it was going to be that challenging going into it. But now that I know, is this something I do again? Well, I think so. I think so. Because, well, number one, it's not about me. It's about the kids. That's the important thing you got to remember. And what was interesting is that the Extra Life intro video that tells you how it got started and everything, I guess the reason they got started, if I interpreted correctly, is that there are so many other activities where participants get, like, like usually athletic activities or people doing what they love. They get together and they'll run a relay or they'll have a, a basketball game or something and raise money for charity. Well, somebody involved in those realized Wait, there's a big electronic gaming community. So why not have a video game related event? And this is it. Extra life is it. So I think I will do it again next year, except I'm going to plan it a little bit more sanely. Uh, I might do what Ferg does. Ferg does things a lot more intelligently than I do. Uh, he split it out over two different Saturdays and did 12 and 12, I believe. So I'll probably do something like that. Maybe what I'll do is I'll do another entire day at an arcade and then a day just at home uh, a week apart like that. That was, I mean, seriously, it was definitely worthwhile. And I got a lot of support, both financially and morally, and I do hugely appreciate that. Um, other than that, I really don't know what else to say. Um, my last episode last year, I kind of went on about Christmas uh, here and there. And uh, since this episode is the last of the year and it's coming out before Thanksgiving, actually, I should maybe talk a little bit about Thanksgiving. Uh, I don't really know what to say, so I'm just going to go off cuff here. I'm going to be spending Thanksgiving in New Jersey, like I have been for several years now. And the reason I'm spending Thanksgiving in New Jersey is because my wife is from the Jersey shore. And so we're spending a few days with her mother. And uh, what we usually do is we usually go out there for Thanksgiving and then her mom comes and spends a few days with us around Christmas time. What we used to do is actually go out for Christmas. We'd spend uh, a few days at Christmas time at my mother-in-law's house, and then on Christmas we'd have breakfast and lunch with her, and then we'd hightail it to Newark Airport, and then fly to O'Hare, and then grab our car, and then hightail it down Interstate 55 to have Christmas with my family, and that just got to be too much of a of a hassle. So we kind of worked out a compromise in which we'd separate it out. So. For the past five or six years, I think, we'd fly out to New Jersey for Thanksgiving, and then my mother-in-law would fly out to Chicago for Christmas, and she'd join us with my family for Christmas dinner and everything, and uh, so that's how things have been going. Uh, 
depending on how you look at it, either fortunately or unfortunately, we're not going to be in New Jersey for very long. Uh, we kind of let airline prices dictate how much time we spend in New Jersey. So we're flying out to New Jersey Tuesday and we're coming out Black Friday because that's how the airfares worked out. If we didn't do it that way, we would be paying an incredibly huge amount of money that quite frankly, we don't really have. So, and I have an interesting tradition now during the flight out to New Jersey, I will watch Emmett Otter's jug band Christmas on an iPad. Um, it's actually my wife's old iPad. I, I really don't like iPads cause to me, they're basically giant iPhones without the phone functionality. It's a weird story because my wife likes the iPad and uh, one time during a flight, I borrowed the iPad and I installed uh, some games on it, like Atari's Greatest Hits and uh, those kinds of things, because I like those games. So I was futzing around with it one flight, and um, I accidentally left it in the plane. So we were convinced we'd never see the thing again, so my wife got a brand new iPad mini that she loves, and a couple of weeks later... I get a package from Southwest Airlines. They said, hey, we found your iPad. Here you go. It's like, oh, okay. So now I have the old iPad. So really the only thing I ever use it for is watching Emmett Otter's Jug Band Christmas. And um, I use it for sheet music at the Old Town School of Folk Music, so I don't have to worry about futzing with papers. I scan them in as PDFs and use the iPad for that. But the reason I do that tradition is... It started in 2006. In 2006, I got my job that uh, moved me back to Chicago. And unfortunately, Lisa had to stay behind in New Jersey because she was finishing up her master's thesis and she couldn't move out with me right away. So she had to spend about a year in New Jersey to finish up. So in 2006, we were essentially living apart and we'd, we'd see each other every month or so. And I was flying out to New Jersey for Christmas and my flight kept getting delayed, 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 delayed. And I was at the uh, airport at O'Hare super late, so late that most of the gates were just empty. So my flight was still delayed up the wazoo and I excused myself over to another wing where there was nobody. And I sat down at an empty gate and just passed the time watching Emmett Otter's Jug Band Christmas. And it's it was one of my favorite things to watch when I was a little kid around Christmas time. I loved the story. I loved the music. I, was, I grew up a Muppets fan, as most of us did. And something I noticed, though, was it seemed it was shorter than usual. And I remember thinking, wait a minute, Kermit the Frog, why is he not in I could have sworn Kermit the Frog was in it. Well, it turns out I was right. Kermit the Frog was in Emmett Otter's Jug Band Christmas. He was the narrator. And the version of Emmett Otter's Jug Band Christmas I was watching was an edited version. I think the story behind that is that Disney bought the Muppets from Jim Henson Productions. So when Emmett Otter's Jug Band Christmas first came out on DVD, but the version I was watching was ripped from a DVD, it was put out by Jim Henson Productions, but since Jim Henson Productions no longer owned the Muppets... They had to take Kermit out. And um, the characters of Emmett Otter's Jug Band Christmas were never owned by Jim Henson. It was a completely different property, which means that Disney didn't own it. So that meant that Henson could still release Emmett Otter's Jug Band Christmas. But because Kermit was a Muppet and Disney owned Muppets, they had to take it out or pay an exorbitant fee, I guess. 
And I think that's the story behind it. Uh, I might be wrong. And it turns out also there are several different edits of Emmett Otter's Jug Band Christmas. Like one has an extra song, one has extra dialogue or something like that. But one year I was doing some searching and I found that somebody was selling a homemade version of Emmett Otter's Jug Band Christmas that incorporated all versions of the special to make one complete version with every variation inside it so you had the whole story and yeah it was technically a pirated dvd but at the what i can say about it and by the way i did buy it but what i can say about it is that the person who was running the website begged people to buy the legal copy of it so that the property holders would get their dues so that's basically what i watch on the flight out to new jersey and uh I've loaded it up on the iPad, so when we take off, and we now take off from Midway Airport, which is the smaller airport in Chicago. At one point, many decades ago, Midway was actually the largest airport in the country. Now it's one of the smallest. But the reason we fly out of Midway now is that we take Southwest Airlines, and Southwest Airlines was not in Chicago back in 2006, but it is now. We love Southwest. And also Midway, Midway is on the south side. We live on the north side. O'Hare's on the north side. But again, because of the Chicago grid, it takes for freaking ever to get to O'Hare. Midway, however, we could just take Interstate 55 and zoom we're there. It's so easy to get to, um, to Midway. So I watch Emma Daughter's Jug Band Christmas. That's my Thanksgiving tradition. And a new tradition I have that I started last year, I'm reading... I think I mentioned this last week, but I'm reading In the St. Nick of Time by Bill Pepper, the host of Atari Bites, and it's a podcast, Charlie Brown. I loved that story so much. It was a great book. I'm doing one chapter a day, and last night I read the second chapter, which introduces uh, the character Dogwater Hunt. I love that character so much. (laughs) I read a lot of that uh, during my New Jersey trip last year, so I'm going to be doing that again this year. And a tradition that my wife and I kind of do now is after some, usually after we eat dinner on Thanksgiving, we will watch Miracle on 34th Street. Used to be shown on TV after the uh, Thanksgiving parade, but now they don't show it anymore for some reason. At least in New Jersey, in the New York market, they don't. We watch Miracle on 34th Street. I love that movie because it is, it is so, there's so much snark in it. And, just so many like subtle political commentary in a funny way. Uh, and it's got really one of the great courtroom scenes of all time. Um, prob- not quite as great as in my cousin Vinny, but it's definitely up there. And uh, you know what? Screw it. I'll just give away a little bit of how the courtroom scene ends. I mean, everybody, I think pretty much everybody knows what go even if you've never seen Miracle on 34th Street, you know that basically a guy is put on trial because he thinks that he's Santa Claus and he and uh, people want to have him committed and he's trying to not be committed. And of course, because it's a it's a Christmas movie, uh, it's a Santa Claus movie. It has to have a happy ending. So predictably, Santa wins the trial, and uh, basically he gets off on a technicality. And I love the technicality that he gets off on. And that's, that's the most I'm going to say right now, because I don't want to give away too much for those who haven't seen it, but and, and the movie always cracks me up. I, I, it all, it always makes me laugh. It's really well done. And especially what I love about it is that when it was first released, I think it was 1947 when it came out, 
when it was first released, it was released in the summer or the spring. I think it was May, actually. So when it was advertised in the previews, they had to hide the fact that it was a Christmas movie. <laughs> so that it, it's just hysterical. I just love it. And of course, we watch uh, a Charlie Brown Thanksgiving, which is not the greatest of the Peanuts specials. Uh, but we love kind of... Uh, making fun of it and uh, how how dated it is might make a little side trip to silver ball in asbury park it's not much of a side trip it's only a mile away from where we're staying uh, we're staying at my mother-in-law's house she lives in neptune which is uh at the jersey shore asbury park is next door to neptune and when my wife and i lived in new jersey we lived in ocean grove which is the part of neptune that is on the ocean and next door to Ocean Grove to the north is Asbury Park. In fact, where we lived in Ocean Grove was literally a five-minute walk from Asbury Park. You just head to the boardwalk and you go north, and you're in Asbury Park. And uh, there's a pinball arcade in Asbury Park on the boardwalk. It's open year-round. It's called Silver Ball. They have a huge collection of pinball machines, uh, really, really vintage ones and some newer ones. And they also have a lot of uh, arcade video games, uh, mostly from the Golden Age. Uh, the oldest one they have, I think, is Super Breakout. And they have, of course, your typical core classics, like you have Pac-Man, Ms. Pac-Man, both of which are Turbo, by the way. And I have the, uh, I think I still have the house high for 50 and under for the Ms. Pac-Man. It was like 300 and some thousand when I played. And it's great because what they do is they, they keep track of high scores, but by gender and age, like within your age range. So when I scored my 300 and some thousand, I wanted to be put on the board. You know, uh, The guy behind the counter said, sir, I really apologize for asking, but I'm required to ask, uh, are you under 50? <laughs> I was, I said, dude, I totally understand. Go. I am not insulted at all. So it's like, but yes, I'm under 50. Thank you for asking. <laughs> It's a popular place for kids' birthday parties, too, so I'm, I might be spending some time there while my wife and her mother go off and do their shopping. And I always try to see if there's a way I can work in some time to either visit Ferg or see if Ferg can uh, head up the Turnpike and uh, hang out, but I don't know if I'm going to be there long enough for that this year. Uh, I still haven't met Ferg. It's one of my, it's on my bucket list to hang out with Ferg sometime. <laughs> Uh, oh boy, I'm sure he's thrilled to hear that. <laughs> and the thing is, like, sometimes when we go to New Jersey for Thanksgiving, we visit my wife's cousins and aunt and uncle in uh, Maryland, in uh, Chestertown, Maryland. And I know Ferg's been there, and we have to go through Delaware to get there. And my wife even said, you know, one of these times when we're, when we're going to Maryland, we should stop in Delaware, and you and Ferg can hang out for a while, do lunch or something. And unfortunately, this time, we're not going to have enough time to do that. We're not going to be heading down to Maryland. But getting back to Ocean Grove, uh, that's where I lived for eight years. It's a really nice place. Uh, it's kind of dead in the winter, though. Uh, it gets a lot of tourists in the summer, which was kind of a pain in the butt because basically you could not leave town in the summer on the weekend unless you didn't want to have anywhere to park your car because all the tourists from New York would be there and there'd be just no parking whatsoever. So that was kind of rough living there. So that's, that's one of the reasons we moved to Chicago. <laughs> uh, 
but still Ocean Grove is a nice place. It's got a little main street called Main Avenue with uh, a post office, it has some restaurants, a couple of coffee shops, and uh, a lot of places that appeal to middle-aged women too. Uh, and it's a very religious town too. It's uh, It was founded as a Methodist camp meeting and they still have the annual camp meeting there. And uh, there's a place called the Great Auditorium of Ocean Grove, and it's built entirely of wood, and the acoustics in there are phenomenal. They have church services there, and they also have concerts. Uh, man, I feel weird for saying this. We saw Bill Cosby there once in 2003 before all that went down. Um, and I know Peter, Paul, and Mary had been there a couple of times. We actually hung out outside the auditorium when Peter, Paul, and Mary were doing their show one year, we could actually hear them loud and clear. And that's a very common sight in the summer. You'd see like a crowd just hanging out at the lawn outside the auditorium and listening to whatever's going on in there. So we got to hear Peter, Paul, and Mary. I know the group that calls themselves the Beach Boys, but really isn't the Beach Boys for all practical purposes. They've been going there every year. Uh, we, they were never there when we lived there, but they've been going there every year now since uh, we moved out. Mike Love must have uh, been tipped off that I don't live there anymore. <laughs> oh, boy. So so there's they have that. Uh, there's a nice boardwalk. Uh, the thing about New Jersey at the shore, though, is you have to pay to access the beach during the season because taxes don't cover the maintenance and upkeep. So if you're going to the beach at New Jer in New Jersey, you have to buy a beach badge. And if you don't have a beach badge, you're not allowed on the beach. I think the exception, there's one exception, and that's in uh, Wildwood, way at the southern end of the state. But uh, where we lived, uh, Ocean Grove is in the right in the dead center of the state, actually. And yeah, so that's where we're going to be spending Thanksgiving, coming back Black Friday. Which is good because I, I like coming back early from a trip because I don't want to say come back on a Sunday and have to go to work the next day. So uh, that's how I'm going to be spending Thanksgiving. Christmas, we're going to be at home. And yeah, that's that's what's going on. Uh, what's coming up for the Atari 7800 Homebrew Podcast? Uh, well, for one thing, I'm definitely going to do some kind of episode that talks about the development process. I'm going to see if I can reach out to various 7,800 developers, especially Bob DiCrescenzo, Clark Otto, and a few other people and get a feel for what they recommend, how they actually sit down and work on a game. And hopefully 2019 will be the year that uh, this podcast has an Atari expansion module episode. And uh, we'll see what else happens. Uh, hopefully we'll be talking about the Syzygy 3200, I think it was called. But we'll see. I didn't want to go over and say, well, Sean, what are your favorite homebrews? Because I don't want to say influence people into say not getting something because of what I recommended getting. Just see what's out there, see what's available, and get what you what you like. Get what you think sounds pretty good. Uh, you can listen to past episodes at homebrew78.fab4it.com and uh, get a feel for what's out there. But in the meantime, I'm just going to wrap it up and call it a year. I thank all of you for listening, and I thank the following people, Air Shack, Ed Ladden Controllers, Kyle Etter, Jimmy G, Great Offender, Richard Grounds, New Balance Phoenix Stores, PJ Steele, and Richard Valdez. All of these people have supported this podcast financially, via patreon.com. 
This time, I'm not going to give the address because I'm shutting down the Patreon donations and the next payout will be the last one that I'm shutting down the Patreon donations until the podcast resumes. Uh, I did get a request from one person specifically saying, let mine continue. (laughs) And I just might, I just might take them up on that offer, (laughs) Uh, but we'll see. We'll see. And I do appreciate that. That's very kind, by the way. Uh, but in the meantime, I can be reached at homebrew78 at fab4it.com. Fab4it is spelled F-A-B and then the number four and then I-T. Show notes page is at homebrew78.fab4it.com on the web. My Twitter handle is homebrew78. YouTube page is homebrew7800. And hey, everybody, like I always say, please give these hardworking homebrew developers the support they deserve and give yourself the Christmas present that you deserve. Get to the Atari Age store, Good Deal Games, whatever. Reach out individually to these developers and buy yourself a game or two. You'll be happy you did. Happy Thanksgiving, all. Happy Christmas. Happy Hanukkah. Happy Kwanzaa. Oh, what else happens? Uh, boxing. Happy Boxing Day. Happy New Year. Happy everything. Please be happy, everybody. And if you can't be happy, Seek it out. Seek out the happiness. It's out there. Oh, by the way, Autobiography of a Schnook will be debuting soon, so keep an eye out for that. Uh, You can go to schnookpodcast.com for the homepage. There's also going to be a Facebook page, facebook.com slash schnookpodcast, schnook spelled S-C-H-N-O-O-K. And uh, anyway, thank you for all your support in the past, well, good Lord, it's going to be almost... Two, two years already? Wow. But anyway, hey, everybody, have a great everything, and I will talk to you again in 2019.